This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. I'm broadcasting today from the Chicago area, the studios of This Week in Agribusiness, where I'll be co-hosting uh, on the TV show this week. And uh, I'll be co-hosting with Steve Bridge from Springfield, Illinois. We're kind of filling in. Max Armstrong, one of the many in Washington, D.C., today for National Agriculture Day activities. And a lot's been going on in our nation's capital, not only observing Ag Week and Ag Day today, but a lot of the other activities that are going on when it comes to trade and budget and things like that that we're going to be talking about on the program today. Also on the program today, we're going to talk weather. We're going to bring Bryce Anderson back in, DTN meteorologist, because weather is such a big story in many parts of the country. Severe weather, high winds, a lot of snow, a lot of flooding in places. So we will talk more about the weather and this big storm. Also coming up, we're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. As we continue to get conflicting news on how close we are to maybe announcing a trade deal with China, what's the impact of that on the markets, and uh, what about the weather? When do we start really focusing on possible planting delays this year? And it sure looks like almost a certainty that's going to be the case for many areas. We'll talk about that. And then we're also going to take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers and see if those numbers have been holding as well as they have been the last several months, even with uh, a down ag economy. Uh, In the news, the administration is now finally starting to make its pitch to members of Congress for NAFTA 2.0, or if you will, USMCA, and um, some of the administration folks have been talking, especially with House Democrats. Some of those Democrats are looking for assurances that Mexico will actually uh, live up to labor commitments that will be part of the new deal. And there was a caucus meeting yesterday with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, and some Democrats appeared Uh, to want to wait for the Mexican government to make necessary changes beforehand to its labor laws before they would consider the bill to implement the new trade pact. So we'll be watching that. If Mexico does not follow through on those promised changes, uh, some are saying that uh, that's going to make it very difficult to pass this deal. That includes changes to ensure the right to collective bargaining and secret votes when a labor pool considers unionizing. So these are the types of issues that will have a lot to do. And we focus on uh, trade for, you know, corn, soybeans, pork, beef, whatever. But some of these other issues that are important issues, but they are going to be key to getting enough votes uh, to pass the deal. And um, certainly there are many in the House, especially on the Democratic side, worrying that Mexico will kind of back off on some of those commitments and they feel there's no recourse under this new deal. And some Democrats, when it reopened, and those things are taken care of when it comes to enforcement of labor provisions and some of the other issues. Now, Mexico and Canada are opposed to any more uh, negotiation on this. So we'll see if that becomes a deal breaker for some on uh, the House uh, side, on the Democrat side especially. So we'll watch that closely. Now, Senate Republicans 
met with President Trump yesterday to talk trade. Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley uh, let it be known that before Congress uh, may sign off on the new deal, that the president will need to drop those steel and aluminum tariffs against Canada and Mexico. I think that's pretty well accepted that the, for this to have any chance, uh, those tariffs are going to have to be dropped. A, um, then we're also looking at a trade deal with the European Union. That has a lot of baggage there, especially on the ag side. Well, there's a bipartisan group of House members, 114 House members, that have sent a letter to uh, Robert Lighthizer, our U.S. Trade Representative, urging him to insist on including agriculture in any upcoming trade talks with the European Union. EU officials have said all along they do not want to include ag in the negotiations. So we'll see if that becomes a deal breaker there. So those are two big issues. And of course, there's still the China situation. We continue to wait. You know, there's some talk that there could still be something announced, some kind of meeting yet this month. Others saying more likely the end of April. And of course, we've also heard the, the comments made several times as of late president may just walk away from a deal altogether if it's not to his liking. So there's still a lot of uncertainty uh, around uh, those trade issues, and those are really dominating uh, uh, the ag news these days as far as the uh, outlook for markets and where we may go. And as we talked about yesterday, there has already been considerable damage done to the ag economy from this trade war with China. And I know I bring this up all the time, and I talk to a lot of people about it. It's really hard to imagine that the deal is going to be so good that it's going to make up for what we've lost already. Hopefully it'll be a good deal moving forward, but it seems like uh, the loss that's been incurred will be very, very difficult, perhaps even unlikely to ever be recovered. Meanwhile, there's uh, still a debate over uh, the oversight between USDA and FDA when it comes to um, the new technology, when it comes to lab produced meat products or imitation meat, some are calling it fake meat, some are calling it cell proteins, if you will. Uh, There's still concern about that split oversight between USDA and FDA. Currently, FDA has control over reviewing the safety of uh, these products while USDA handles uh, plants. But there are several livestock groups saying that FDA's uh, framework uh, is not clear and that their process of handling things is too slow. The pork industry taking the lead in part because gene-edited hogs that are resistant to certain diseases are expected to be and could be commercially available in the next couple of years. So there are those who are pushing for USDA to have more control there and we'll see how that plays off. There is now an acting uh, commissioner for um, FDA now that Scott Gottlieb has um, resigned from that position. And of course, we continue to get reaction to the E15 proposal. And as we talked about yesterday, it looks like that's a step in getting summer sales uh, for E15 across the country, but it's just a step in the process. And we know the oil industry is uh, is going to fight it. And there's concerns about the REN reform part of it as well. So we have a long ways to go on that one yet. But really, in a short period of time, about 78 days before that summer driving season kicks in June 1st, when hopefully E15 will be available all across the country. 
and it already is will be in some parts of the country in some markets but not everywhere hopefully that's going to be addressed in time we will wait and see so that's some of the things some of the things going on in the news we'll touch more upon them a little bit later when we talk markets with matt bennett with agmarket.net because a lot of these issues will impact the markets including we can talk a little bit about the uh, the president's budget proposals as well but coming up next what a lot of people are talking about and dealing with severe winter weather DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. You want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacor Zemium brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis, more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected wheat acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all together in one portfolio, you're covered all the way through harvest. That's a winning combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, on Mondays, we talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson to talk about the weather for the week ahead. Now, if we have him back during the week... That usually means there's a weather problem. I guess, Bryce, we never have you back on during the week to talk about how good the weather is. So uh, we know there's a there's a real problem for a lot of folks dealing with a severe winter storm. So give us an update. How severe and how widespread? Well, Mike, I want to uh, I, I want to use the term bomb in here because uh, if if I'm on in midweek, maybe a bomb went off and it did uh, in the atmosphere so to speak. Um, there was a, a tremendous uh, round of low pressure that developed uh, in the eastern flank of the Rockies uh, about 48 hours ago around Colorado Springs, Denver, you know, that, that section of Colorado. Uh, once uh, a, a lot of energy kind of worked out of the Intermountain West and so forth, and uh, the, uh, the atmospheric pressure uh, reached uh, a depth that is comparable to uh, a nor'easter that you know we think about off the New England coast and all that uh, all that type of thing, and there actually is a term that the American Meteorological Society has in its glossary called a uh, bomb cyclone. Usually, it happens out over the uh, ocean water, but in this case, it happened over land, which is uh, unusual. And um, when you get that kind of energy going on, you can have a lot of uh, tremendous uh, weather features and that's uh, you know that's the background for what's happening uh, with very heavy snow and uh, just uh, tremendous winds 
over much of the northern plains and the western plains, so blizzard warnings are still in effect from uh, northern Colorado around uh, Julesburg and uh, and Burlington, Colorado, uh, north uh, through the eastern third of Wyoming, uh, east to northern Nebraska, and then across much of South Dakota uh, into parts of central and uh, northern North Dakota and northern Minnesota. And ahead of that, uh, there was a tremendous warm sector that brought in a lot of moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico to produce rainfall of anywhere from one to three inches, just uh, completely uh, evaporated, or not evaporated, but it melted away a big snowpack over uh, the central plains, western Midwest, and so we've got a lot of flooding and uh, and road closures uh, from the flooding besides the blizzard out west and uh, a number of communities that had to be evacuated. Uh, the mechanics for this uh, storm are, uh, like I say, they're, they're just tremendous, and, uh, you know, we're going to be dealing with this for probably another day into the early hours of Friday before things finally start calming down over the north-central part of the country. How unusual is this storm? These conditions you just described, how unusual are they? Uh, I, I don't want to put a percent on it, but the percentage is, is well under 10%, you know, uh, probably, I don't know, 3 4% uh, for, for this type of a system uh, to develop. So this is, uh, this is really an outlier in terms of its uh, of its uh, depth and and intensity over over land usually that doesn't happen it's one thing to have it happen over the water um, because of uh, because of the uh, the way the atmosphere uh, interacts with uh, the the ocean water but to have this uh, type of uh, of real intense and very very energetic system develop over land is uh, very unusual um, on the other hand, the the occurrence of uh, the the uh, very heavy rains and snows and wind conditions uh, that certainly has been something that uh, we've uh, had happen more often than than not uh, over the past uh, six seven years, maybe the past ten years, as I look back in the records, and and so uh, this has been. Uh, kind of a feature off and on uh, for for many of our springs here in recent memory, and uh, we've got that happening again right now. Now the uh, the atmosphere is going to settle down after this. I mean, it can't just crank out these uh, you know these extreme systems on a on a uh, on every few days basis. Uh, so that's going to be a a beneficial uh, feature of uh, the way the forecast is shaping up. But you know, up until then. Uh, you know we've got to uh, deal with uh, with a lot of this, and and of course the wet ground, flooding, stress from uh, from snow and rain, and the impact of uh, these uh, you know very stormy events. Uh, you know they're going to stay with us for quite a while yet. Yeah, we we've seen the pictures and we've heard the reports of uh, you know the high winds, the snow, the flooding, and this is a situation. You know I've been talking about this for weeks now. Uh, about the, you know, the prospects of a, a late spring and how long it's going to be for some producers to be able to get into some of those fields. I mean, there's still a lot of snow that's got to melt. That's got to go somewhere. I mean, this is going to take a while. Yes, it will. And uh, and you know, the uh, the geological uh, survey USGS um, has uh, has much of the north central uh, and the central U.S. at a at a uh, 
moderate to major risk for long-term flood uh, concerns uh, through this uh, spring and maybe even into early summer, depending on how how you know later events happen. But uh, you know that's that includes uh, all of the major river basins over the north central part of the country, starting with the Red River in uh, North Dakota and Minnesota, and then obviously the Missouri Basin and its uh, very long. Uh, trail that it's got. It's very, it's very long track all the way to uh, the St. Louis area before it uh, it uh, empties into the Mississippi. The Mississippi Valley itself, the Ohio Valley, uh, the the uh, St. Croix uh, River in Wisconsin and Minnesota. All of those basins. The Delta is getting flooding right now, and so uh, you know we're looking at a a truly uh, uh, long term wet feature that's uh, going to kind of overhang now this coming uh, season now mike as far as the uh, as as far as the dynamics uh comparing to previous years uh that's maybe a little bit hard to find but in terms of some of these conditions um looking back here we had uh, some similar things go on uh, back in uh, 2011 in uh, 2013 and 2015 uh, with uh, some some very wet uh, spring uh, patterns that developed and uh, caused uh, you know some some real acreage losses, frankly. And I think that uh, we are going to be revisiting that type of scenario the way things are playing out. Yeah, there's always speculation this time of year about planted acres. You know, what's going? How many acres going to go to corn? How many going to go to soybeans? I think this year we really have to start looking at how many acres may not get planted. So that'll be a big, big story. It always is, but this year may be more than than usual. Okay, Bryce, you said that some calm coming after this storm. How long of calm? I mean, do you see another one brewing anywhere uh, soon? Well, the next two weeks, uh, Mike, are are truly looking uh, quieter. I mean, uh, you know, we're looking at not only not only a a lessening of the precipitation intensity. But uh, a a uh, a more uh, toward normal type of trend in the temperatures. I don't want to say that we're going to turn around and all of a sudden we're going to be basking in in uh, a real warm pattern. But during the next week, uh, the temperatures are going to start tracking into the say the 40s for daytime highs across much of the north central U.S. and into the 50s. Uh, from, say, Interstate 80 South, and uh, that's obviously going to be better. We could even start to see more of an occurrence of the 60s, and uh, that's going to be, you know, certainly useful. Uh, I do think that um, that north of Interstate 90, it still is going to be pretty, um, you know, pretty hard to get temperatures into that 50s category because of all the snow cover that you mentioned, but temperatures could uh, get into that middle to upper 30s anyway, and um, and if that uh, is the case and we can hold off on any further precipitation, you know, that's going to obviously uh, help to uh, make the uh, snow melt a little bit more of a gradual event uh, than just this sudden uh, surge of melting snow. Now, uh, some of that farther to the south from about uh, Bro- uh, Brookings and Sioux Falls, South Dakota south, was uh, made even worse because of rainfall in the past 24 hours of one to three inches. And so that just added to it. But um, we get into this next week, milder temperatures, drier conditions, maybe that, uh, you know, uh, kind of slows down the pace 
of the snow melt, and that would uh, be very welcome, I think, by everyone. Hey, maybe we'll have you back on midweek then just to talk about good weather. Well, that that would be that would be fun <laughs> with me. That would be fine with okay. me. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things to think about for sure. All right, thanks, thanks, Bryce. I wish we had some better news right now, but uh, thanks for the update. Sounds good, Mike. Thank you. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Some severe weather out there. Be careful. We'll talk markets next with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And joining me now is Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We're celebrating National Agriculture Day, Matt, but a lot of things we're not celebrating. Weather in some parts of the country that we just talked about here on the show. And uh, also um, concern about markets and trade and still waiting to see what happens there. We talk so much about trade in China and all that, and that's certainly important. We're still waiting to see it. But I'm beginning to wonder, are we going to start talking more about weather and planting conditions before long than even the trade deals? You know, I think uh, we will at some point. It's going to be a little while yet. Uh, the thing about it is that, uh, you know, here recently pe- people have been trying to figure out where's the market hanging its hat, you know, South American weather, yada, yada. Actually, no, it's U.S.-Chinese relations. I mean, that's all we can really talk about It's being gripped. Uh, the market's being gripped by that situation. And so uh, uh, at what point do we take over and we, we look at spring weather? Well, I think, as we talked about earlier, uh, uh, doing the, doing the uh, this week in agribusiness, we were talking about this a little bit. Bottom line for me is trade's going to be a little bit more uh, frustrated or apprehensive, if you will, this year. Why? Uh, because last fall was not a good harvest for a lot of people as far as uh, post-harvest. You know, didn't get much uh, field work done. Yes, we had a good yield, but didn't get much field work done. Uh, bottom line, hardly any anhydrous was put on. Uh, we needed an early spring, did not get an early spring, and so uh, game that the weather's going to have to change drastically, or it's going to be a late spring. And so, uh, uh, when's the market going to get excited? Probably a little bit earlier than normal. You know, I, I think if you're wet April the 20th uh, with a wet forecast, I think you could be looking at some serious fireworks, especially if what we're hearing right now is true, that there's going to be a meeting maybe sometime in that mid late April time frame. You could see a lot of things happen at the same time. That would be interesting for sure. Uh, I talked with a farmer in central Illinois this week about he knew of someone who was just wrapping up harvest still, mm-hmm. getting some beans out. We know that's happened in several other places as well. That shows what kind of... You talked about the way it ended up last year, carried over into this year. We know the markets are, they kind of just assume that, hey, it'll all get planted, it'll get taken care of. They handle, uh, uh, you know, kind of late springs pretty well. But this this is a different situation because of all the snow and in some parts of the country and the wet conditions already. The lack of field work that you mentioned that got done last fall, 
Farmers already feel behind in many cases, don't they? They, they do feel behind. Uh, you know, Steve and I were just talking on his show a little bit ago about uh, farmers might be farming around uh, bags this year. You know, because in our part of the world, as you know, there's a lot of bags out still. It's as wet as can be. And by the time it dries up, producers are not going to be thinking about uh, emptying bags. They're going to be thinking about planting corn, bottom line. And so, obviously, they're going to be... Uh, uh, putting all their resources towards getting the crop in the ground. And so it's going to be a very interesting spring, but you're right. I mean, there's a lot that's going to go on here. Uh, this wet weather could uh, have a huge impact. Uh, it be very interesting to see how many producers put in hydros on before they plant corn, because at this stage of the game, sitting here in mid-March, uh, I need at least two weeks even to be able to sniff, uh, you know, field work, especially with uh, temperatures aren't exactly exactly warm. Now, if we got into the 60s and 70s, we're going to change that conversation, but it's saturated. I mean, you could take a tiled field. This could take two weeks from today, uh, especially given the temperature we're looking at. We're talking with Matt Bennett from Illinois with agmarket.net. You can paint a pretty friendly corn scenario, can't you? I mean, especially if we have a late spring and some of those acres that we thought would be corn do wind up going to soybeans. Yeah, you can. You know, and I would say, relatively speaking, I've got more uh, horns, if you will, uh, whenever it comes to the corn market and what I do the soybean market. The problem is... Uh, Fundamentally, the bean market is a completely different ball game, and so uh, is that going to be an anchor on the market? You know, uh, uh, but let's just talk corn because uh, that's the question you asked. And so, uh, you know, if the Chinese do buy corn, uh, if we do have a wet spring, uh, if we can't get 92 million in like that, look, forums calling for, uh, the weather is going to have to be ideal this summer, just flat out ideal for us to have any chance whatsoever. Uh, just to keep stocks where they're at right now. Usage, yes. Uh, the USDA called it last week. Usage off just a little bit, uh, especially exports down 75 million bushels. Uh, if uh, the rumors were right yesterday and China's buying 3 million a metric ton off the Pacific Northwest, then they're going to have to readjust that 75 right back in because that's approximately the kind of numbers we're talking. And so, uh, you know, stocks use ratio for corn is quite tight. Uh, you know, I think that we're probably under 1.8 right now, whereas the USDA says 1.835. Uh, in that situation, you just don't have much margin for error. But a lot of farmers, especially in states like Illinois, want to plant corn, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, we love corn. You know, the the thing that I've talked about the last couple, three winters that I couldn't talk about this winter, uh, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but there was a lot of truth to it. I said, you know, we love to plant corn. But we also like cutting 75 bushel beans and selling them for 10 bucks. I mean, gee, many Christmas, there's been a lot of money made on soybeans the last several years. And so uh, the mentality six, eight years ago was, man, I don't want to plant uh, soybeans on a cash rep farm, right? Last couple, three years, guys are trying to find reasons to plant beans on beans even, you know, asking the agronomist, can I do this? What do I need to do agronomically? So the discussions change dramatically, and then you take soybeans and you drop them, you know, dollar, fifty, and things change. You know, the conversation changes. So I think that there's going to be areas where people can produce really good beans and have the last few years. They're still going to keep beans in the mix. Uh, but if they can plant more corn, there's certainly going to be areas that are going to push corn acres. A lot of farmers won't want to hear this, but you think maybe soybeans are, are priced higher than they should be right now. Yeah, you know, whenever you look at the fundamentals, I mean, let, let me just tell you a couple of facts that are not pleasant, but they're truth. Um, in the U.S. and in the world, we have the highest stocks and stocks use ratio we've ever seen. You know, I'm not trying to be bearish. I'm just I'm stating facts. So you have the most beans we've ever seen on hand 
for both the U.S. and world. And the stocks to usage ratio, which is what every originator in the world cares about, because that's ultimately what decides price, is the highest we've ever seen. And so uh, fundamentally, you can't get super friendly to soybean prices. Now, the market's job is to find a fair price, and that's probably where we're at right now. Uh, but I think that there's a little bit of enthusiasm already built into this over some sort of a U.S.-Chinese trade deal. The whole adage of buying the rumor and selling the fact uh, might be more applicable uh, to the, the bean market in this situation than the corn market. If you look at stocks use ratio versus historicals, uh, soybeans probably too high. Corn's probably a little low. So that makes me wonder... Let's assume that a deal is going to get done with China, and that's still an if. We don't know, and we don't know what it's going to be, but it's, we're going to be told it's going to be great whenever it happens. Yeah, you can course. count on that. Will we see this huge jump that some are expecting, I think, or is some of it already in the, in the market right now? I think some of it's already in the market right now, but that's not to say that we won't see some sort of a computer-driven, algorithm-driven rally, sharp rally. Uh, who knows how long that lasts? Uh, you know, for me, uh, with soybeans or corn, for that matter, either one, uh, as a producer, I need to be thinking about what are the scenarios that could unfold? You know, and if one of the scenarios is that we see a spike higher and then we back off due to significant hedge pressure, which I do expect, uh, in that case, the computer models and algorithms are not going to be there to pick the market back up off the mat. You know, because if the models drive it sharply higher and you hit hedge pressure and you reverse that market, models aren't going to be buying the market like they were originally. And so I guess uh, my opinion here is that we need to have offers in place. Have offers. In, if right now you think, hey, I could make money at 950 November beans. I'm not super excited about selling there. We'll put an offer in at 970 or 965, 960. Uh, put an offer above the market because bottom line is you could see a spike higher. And you and I both know most producers are on a 10-minute time delay on their phone. They call the elevator guy up and say, hey, I saw beans hit 970. I want to sell some beans. He's going to say, hey, buddy, they're 952 right now. You know, And it's only been 10 minutes. Uh, and so you're not going to catch that cat by its tail if it's a fast market. These next six weeks going to tell us a lot right absolutely I mean, the next six weeks are so crucial uh, obviously weather china uh, most of the most important things uh, that we're looking at are, are going to be a, a, a large factor now end of the month here for planning intentions it's going to be a big day as it always is but the bottom line is you know that could be an extremely bearish number uh, as far as corn is concerned and if we're sitting at the same type of soil moisture profiles as we've got right now in the midwest it's not going to matter you know because the trade's going to know you know what uh, show me the money you know let's put your money where your mouth is let's see whether we can really get those acres planted uh, given what we're looking at we've had very low uh you know, uh, 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 acreage the last couple of years as far as preventative plant goes. I don't know that that's going to happen. Most of the guys that I talk to in the Dakotas, uh, they're definitely in a situation that, that they're questioning what, what's going to happen. I mean, uh, not only are they under a fair amount of snow, cold as can be, but uh, there's a lot of snow. And so whenever you look at that runoff, um, I don't know, you're looking at a lot of implications yeah, there. Last year, Missouri was a state that really – didn't get a lot of acres planted because right. of what, that area could really be expanded this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, some of the years where we've seen large preventative plant uh, has definitely gotten into the market, especially later in the year when we finally get those numbers. Uh, but the, the trades can be paying very close attention to that because uh, 
you know, if you would get down to say 91 million acres, I mean, that is extremely friendly given the, given our stock situation. Yeah. When we start, when we get those intentions, there'll really be intentions because it could be a farmer still looking out at a very wet field that, yeah, I hope to plant it in corn, but I don't know. Right. And that's the thing that I want to caution producers. Uh, we've probably got more swing acres than I think we've ever seen in my career uh, due to the kind of fall that we had last year. So a lot can happen when it comes to acreage. Yep, we shall shall see, but as you said, a lot to happen, a lot to be determined in these next uh, few weeks. That's Matt Bennett from Illinois. He's with agmarket.net. Stay with us. More to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. What is National Agriculture Day? A lot of activities out in Washington, D.C. I believe our next guest is uh, taking part in some of those activities. Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, how are you? I'm doing well. I am calling from the nation's capital, celebrating National Ag Day. So, uh, I guess first before we start, thanks to all the farmers out there that are growing the food that we enjoy in the nation and around the world. So happy National Ag Day. And it is a day to call attention to agriculture, some of the issues, but also just to remind folks, especially I think in Washington, D.C., but really we need to throughout the country, of the importance of agriculture, why these things we talk about are so important to everyone. You bet. You bet. In fact, that's part of our message uh, as the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We talk to you know, you know, later today we talked to some of the politicians and certainly those within the, within the Department of Agriculture is that, uh, you know, agriculture encompasses when you when you include food and and, uh, and production of food and and even uh, and the preparation of about ten percent of all the workforce. So it affects everybody. It's the it's the growth of the entire economy. We specifically in the equipment industry represent about three hundred fifty thousand employees, and uh, when we share those numbers with politicians. They begin to take notice uh, that hey, this industry it goes beyond farmers, and it's very important to, to celebrate and appreciate that you know what modern agriculture is bringing to this society. Yeah, you have to toot your own horn sometimes and make people worth. I, I think we may take for granted that they know the, these things, but uh, they have to be reminded, don't they? They do have to be reminded. They do have to be reminded. You bet. 
All right, let's take a look. We've been tracking for the last year. You've been coming on with us as we track the monthly sales of uh, ag equipment. And we have said over and over that, especially given where the ag economy is right now, these numbers have been uh, uh, pretty good, pleasant surprises. It looks like the latest numbers now from February continues that trend. Continue that trend of, of a pleasant surprise and cautious optimism. I sound like a broken record here, Mike. But uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. We've been saying for a couple of months that it's, there's a dark storm crowd, cloud over agriculture, and, and I still kind of believe that. But I think what we're seeing, just because this has been happening for a number of months, is that the farmers uh, you know, that are buying certainly the, the, large, the large equipment, four-wheel drive tractors and self-propelled combines, are recognizing that, uh, hey, this, is, this ag economy is, is, is pretty tough right now. Well, we're in this for the long haul, and, and uh, you know, not looking at it with a short-term view, but a, but a long-term view, and that's reflected in the numbers. I mean, um, uh, self-propelled combines. So far this year, we've sold 100 additional self-propelled combines uh, through the month of February than we did last year, and last year was up just a little bit. So that's that's a big number. And you say 100 100 units is not that many when you talk about a, a combine being, you know, half a million dollars. Uh, as a purchase price, that's a that's a real that's a real big, uh, real big number. And similarly, in articulated four wheel drive, we've seen about a 30% increase year over year in articulated four wheel drive tractors. And that's you know that's about 90 to 100 new units uh, over last year. Again, a big number uh, when when especially when you're looking at the uh, the ag economy uh, just with some dark storm clouds over there. Not necessarily reflecting you know the positive nature that the, that the farmers are are feeling optimistic that at some point this will turn. The numbers out of Canada, though, not quite as good. Canada's been a little soft, and, you know, as we you know, as we have kind of continued to say, Canada was an early indicator of this uh, this replacement market. And, uh, uh, you know, we were seeing some, some good growth last year, but it's it's certainly softening in, in Canada, uh, absolutely softening in Canada with uh, – you know, with uh, articulated four-wheel drive tractors, with uh, over 40 horsepower two-wheel drive tractors, there's been some real softness there. We're seeing some decreases, you know, in the double-digit percentage uh, decreases, and that's that's a little concerning. On the bright side, though, in both U.S. and Canada, under 40 horsepower tractors continue to be a bright spot. Uh, we have we've sold 3,000 more units this year of under 40 horsepower tractors in the United States than we did last year. That's a lot. Uh, that also is a reflection of the overall economy, not just the farm economy, because you know this takes a lot of people buy those uh, small tractors to you know push the snow there in uh, in the Dakotas or uh, or uh, mow the yard in the South. Uh, so that's uh, we're seeing a nice uh, nice increase in that, and that's keeping the uh, that's keeping the manufacturers happy as we sell those uh, sell that equipment to really who whoever is wanting to buy it, whether it's farmers or non farmers. Well, USDA estimating that net farm income is expected to increase slightly this year. Uh, of course, we know so much uh, hinges on what happens with trade, and we're just waiting to see what happens there. I'll tell you what, you know, I'm optimistic is it? Happy to see those numbers with the with the USD, USDA prediction of, of being up a little bit. But you know, also got to recognize we were down quite a bit, you know, last couple of years. So. You know, it's a, it's it's a, it, it's positive news. I'll take any positive news we can, but it's still it's still a little tough out there, especially as you mentioned with the with these clouds of uh, of trade going out there. I mean, we're 
we're uh, you know, one of the messages we have here in Washington D.C. today is that we've got to get this trade stuff worked out sooner rather than later because you know the, the clock is ticking and and uh, you know as farmers are making their decisions of whether to plant corn or soybeans or, or whatever it might be this next year that uh, that decision you know the trade is is absolutely impacting that decision we. We've stressed to the administration, we've stressed to anyone that will listen, you know, along with all the farm organizations arm in arm, this has got to happen, we got to get this resolved, and we've got to re- get this resolved quickly, uh, because it's going to have uh, a long-term impact if we don't fix it soon. I think a lot of eyebrows were raised with the president's budget proposal and some of the cuts he's proposed uh, for agriculture. Now, we know those aren't going to go through. That's a proposal. But still, uh, I think it, uh, it caught some people maybe a little bit by surprise so soon after the signing of the farm bill i think there is some some surprises that are uh, you know in that in that budget as you say correctly uh, i think you know the, the the president is is you know he he i believe that he is uh, really in support of farmers and he continues to say that and that's why i think it's really important for all the farmers out there and certainly within the farm organizations to make sure that we continue to put a little bit of pressure on the administration and all right. all elected officials make sure that we're listening to the farmers Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Thanks, Kurt, and enjoy Ag Day activities there in Washington, D.C. You bet. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.